Matthew chapter number 12, if you would. Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew in chapter number 12. Are you praying for the missions conference? It's coming up soon. You should be receiving uh, by mail uh, our missionaries that are going to be with us. Brochure so you can get to know them. I'm sure looking forward to it. It is, um, I don't mind to tell you, the highlight of our year here. It's the centerpiece of all the calendar. And uh, everything flows in and out of the missions conference. So such an important week coming up. First Wednesday through Sunday of March. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. We'll begin our reading verse number 22. Matthew 12. In verse number 22, the word God says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, and notice this, blind and dumb. It's a difficult situation, can you imagine? Not able to see, not able to speak. <clears throat> notice this, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Yeah, yeah that's right. But, <laughs> but, yeah. right, verse 24, we're in that section of Matthew where he's given the response of the Pharisees and other religious leaders to this. It says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That's quite an accusation. It's a false accusation against God. Verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts, like that, don't you? And said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, Jesus says in verse 27, by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? <laughs> Turned the tables on them right there, didn't he? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Now, notice he's, he's going somewhere very, very significant and important with this. Verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else... How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. Notice verse 30. It's a transitional verse, I believe. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Well, amen right there, right? Yeah. 
Thank God that all sin may be forgiven of men. Notice this, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word, that's what blasphemy is. We'll get to that in just a moment. Revile, re insult. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, how many of you say, I think that's, that's serious right there. That's serious business. We really need to understand what he's talking about here. All right, verse 33. I'm going to keep reading through verse 37. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. The tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, you brood of serpents. I wonder if his mind is echoing back to Genesis 3 where the serpent spoke to Eve. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. Things that we kind of dismiss is no big deal. He says every idle word. Notice verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. In other words, he's saying, your heart reveals the state of, your mouth reveals the state of your heart. Okay, so we're going we're to look at that. How many of you would agree, this is not an easy passage? <clears throat> I would imagine Brother Bruce Harrison's not preaching on this in the five-year-olds. <laughs> it's not an easy passage. But I don't think we should divert around a passage just because it's not an easy passage. In fact, we really need to understand this. And God gave it to us to understand. So here's the title this morning. Labeling good and evil. Labeling good and evil. That's very important that we'd be able to rightly label good and evil. And then let me ask you this question. And I'm saying this to try to help give the message direction. Will your judgment of Christ stand in the judgment? Will your judgment of Christ Another way of saying it, perhaps, would be, will your assessment of Christ, will your judgment of Christ stand in the judgment? Would you consider that with me here in a moment? Will your judgment of Christ stand, have validity, validity in the judgment? May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's consider the words of Jesus here and the situation of the Pharisees for our consideration here this morning. 
Since the Garden of Eden, man has believed Satan's twisted sense of values. As Eve was there in the garden, the serpent approached her. He began to say things like, Yea, hath God said. He began to question the goodness of God. He began to say that God is withholding this from you, lest you should be like him. In other words, he basically did this. He portrayed God as being selfish. He portrayed God, in fact, as being evil. He called God's good evil. Watch this as he tempted her and obviously his intent to tempt Adam as well. He was calling good evil, but he was also calling evil good. In fact, Satan still wants to give you an appetite for that which is forbidden. And if he was successful here in the Garden of Eden, then he would bring mankind into a wrong standing before God. And he was successful, and in fact, he still is successful in many ways in causing mankind in general to call good evil and to call evil good. In fact, one man said it this way, good is no longer rooted in what God says enhances life, but in what people think is desirable to elevate life. And thus, good is called evil and evil is called good. This, uh, this happens in many ways. Al alcohol. I just on the way in this morning, um, uh, Trevor's driving as he has permit, and I, so I've got time to kind of look around a little bit more. <laughs> I'm watching out for all kinds of things. <laughs> but I noticed a billboard that had an advertisement, you know, an alcohol uh, advertisement, certain brand of beer, and it talked about it being low in carbs. Like that made it good for you or something. Like, like that's going to make it less harmful to you. Well, you won't get fat. Or as fat drinking this kind of beer. Well, whoop de doo. I'd rather meet an overweight driver than a drunk driver. You see, what's happening today is that people are calling evil good. Alcohol, they say, is good. No, listen, friend, God throughout his word says it's evil. But today there's an effort, even among an acceptability among Christians, to say, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. It's not a bad deal. That's calling evil good. Could we not talk about the sexual deviancy of our day in so many realms of, of those living together prior to marriage, of pornography, of, of, of the homosexual uh, sodomy and so forth, all that is called, it's calling evil good. And in fact, if you stand for what the Bible says as 
Marriage between a husband and a wife and that the sexual fulfillment is to strictly be fulfilled within marriage. They say that you're antiquated. You're out of date. They're call. In fact, if you take a stand like that, they're going to call your good evil. So there's a lot of ways that this is happening and, and, and we could run the gamut of that. But, but we're here to consider this particular text and to see that the most severe way that this happens among mankind is in one's assessment of Jesus Christ, in one's assessment of God. Because when you call God evil, you've crossed a serious line. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were accusing Jesus of casting out these demonic beings or this demonic being in the power of Beelzebub. They had seen his words, or heard his words rather. They had seen his works. You know, to be valid in, in, uh, in God's economy and you had to have two witnesses. Well, regarding Jesus Christ being the Christ, being the Messiah, there are two witnesses, his words and his works. They had heard both. They'd seen it. And yet they were rejecting and rejecting him and denying the fact that he was indeed the Messiah. But I want you to consider this this morning. And this is really a passage that is making a very strong appeal to those who are opposing Jesus Christ to those who are rejecting him. And there's categories that we're going to look at here in just a moment. But let me say, let me hasten to say this. Just because you deny the nature of something, it does not change how it is. In fact, when you cannot change the nature of things, it's best to yield to the way that they are. Example. Again, um, please pardon the amount of driving illustrations, but just living it right now. <laughs> We're merging, and uh, there's a big old semi right there. Now it's it was actually in the in the other lane. He merged and did a fantastic job. I mean, he really did. I mean, I I was sitting there doubting him, but he did great. I thought, man, it seems like that truck was pretty close, but he knew where it was. I was not paying as much attention, but he knew where it was. But let me, let me say this. If that big semi truck is in the lane where you're trying to merch and cannot get over. Now, I think all good people should merch, should get over to let other people in. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, that's, that's just courtesy. It's just right. I can't say it's strictly in the Bible, but the principle is in there. <laughs> Thinking of others. Well, there are times though that maybe the big semi-truck cannot get over because there's another car there, another car there. And so what you're supposed to do when that's the case is yield. Because, uh, I, I mean, the reality of this was hitting me pretty hard this morning that our little Tacoma truck <laughs> was not any kind of a match for that big semi-truck. And so what we would have to do in a situation like that is yield. I want you to understand this from what Jesus said. Judgment is 
coming. Someday you'll stand before God. Someday I'll stand before God. And you shall either stand at the great white throne judgment or you shall stand at the bema seat of Christ. That's for believers. The great white throne for unbelievers. You'll stand there. Listen, there's nothing you can do to change that. So what you ought to do in good sense is yield to the way things are. This is a very pointed message as, as Jesus is addressing these Pharisees and these religious leaders and he's warning them about the judgment to come and about eternity. And, and I, I want to I tell you this morning, based on what Jesus has said in other passages, that there is a true literal place called heaven and there's a true literal place with flames, not metaphorical, not, not annihilation, but it, it is this place. It is a place of eternal torment called hell. There are categories of unbelievers. There are, there are those who are lost. Listen to this. There are those that are lost that will die and go to hell because they've never heard the gospel. Say, preacher, is that in the Bible? You, according to Paul in Romans chapter 10, that how shall they believe except, except they hear the gospel? And how shall they hear the gospel except somebody goes to them? Hey, listen, missions is not just an option. It is imperative. There's not a plan B. If a person does not hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. They cannot be born again. And if they are not born again, they can't see the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. There are those that are, are yet in their sin because they've never heard. Oh, how sad the fact that, that he died for all and yet all have not yet heard that he died for them. There are those that are in that category. But then there are those that have heard and they're open to the idea. And it's as though they're thinking about it and they're saying, you know, I, I'm open to the idea of believing. They're just not fully convinced. That might be you here today. You're here today, you're in church and, and uh, that would indicate that you have an interest in spiritual things. Have you believed have you placed your complete trust for your eternity in who Jesus is and in what he did? Now, I know that I'm preaching to the vast majority of people who have done just that. But in a crowd this size, there would be someone here today that maybe somebody invited you. And you're here and you're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the reality of eternity. And, and you're considering this. You're thinking about it. And you're, maybe you're putting this together. And you're understanding that, that Jesus is indeed who he said he was. And you're, you're, you're considering these things. You're not hostile to these things. But you've not yet repented of your unbelief and placed faith in Jesus Christ, but you're open to it. But then there might be some even watching by live stream. There might be some here in this very auditorium who's in the category of being resistant. I thought about it, picturing it this way, having someone saying, I, I haven't heard, having somebody kind of in a contemplative look, but then having somebody with arms crossed. That was the Pharisees. The Pharisees couldn't believe the audacity of Jesus to eat and his disciples to eat wheat going through the fields. They couldn't believe the audacity of Jesus to, to uh, heal somebody on the Sabbath day. But Jesus just broke through all their barriers to show God's love to mankind. 
When we come to verse number 22 and you see that they brought a man unto Jesus that was possessed with the devil and he was blind. Somebody had to lead him and he was unable to communicate by verbal communication. Um, and Jesus cast out this demonic being as we saw in verse 22 and verse 23. And the Pharisees were critical of this. It leaves you with this idea. He couldn't do anything to please them. They were opposed to him in every way. Can I say this to you? They were willfully blind. Willfully blind of what he had done and who he was. Willfully blind. In fact, they didn't want to see the good in the Lord Jesus because if they saw the good in him, then they have to admit that I'm wrong, that we're wrong. They didn't want to see it. This man is in reality uh, possessed by a demonic being. By the way, I just want to say this right now, that demonic possession is not possible of a believer, but it is reality still in the world. And I, I, just, I just also want to add to that, that, that um, it's not just in tribal cultures where the presence of evil spirits are active, but it's right here in the United States of America. And parents better be aware of what your kids are reading by way of novels and by what your kids are playing by way of video games and by what your kids are watching by way of movies because the occult has made its way and infiltrated our country as well. It's not anything to toy with. So when, when Jesus healed this man, when, when he cast out this demonic being, the people said, is not this the son of David? In other words, they are in that category. They weren't yet believers. They were not one of his followers. But listen, they were open to the idea of it. They were, they were not closed off to it. But then you had the Pharisees who said, I'll tell you how he did that. He did that by the prince of the devils, the, uh, the one known as Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub, uh, there's a lot of uh, speculation about what the name means and house of uh, flies, uh, Lord of flies, or Lord of the house. Probably that's what Jesus is getting at. He's referred to as the Lord of the house. In other words, the house would have been the man and that demon was the, the master of that house. There was no question as to whether or not Jesus had performed this miracle. They all recognized he cast out this demonic being. The question was this, the power, the source of power. Where did this come from? How did he do this? Hang on, wait a minute. There's only two possibilities right here. Either he did it by the power of God or he did it in the power of Satan. There's only those two possibilities, good and evil. He either did it by the power of God or he did it by the power of Satan. Which, which way was it? How did he do this? And, and he said here, they said rather, that he did this by Beelzebub. Now, I, I want to pause right here to say this. We do, need to, we do need to consider the source. When somebody says they've done miracles and, and, and such, I mean, you think about, I, I went back and I read in Exodus chapter number eight, seven and eight, and how that Pharaoh's magicians, I mean, Moses had cast down his rod and it turned into a serpent. They cast down their rods and listen, they turned into serpents. So how was that? Did they do that by the power of God or by the power of the devil? Did Moses do that by the power of God or by the power of the devil? Well, obviously, Moses did that by the power of God. They did that by the power of the devil. 
One big difference. Moses' serpent ate their serpents. Bummer for them, right? So we've got to consider the source, right? Because here, these magicians had a certain amount of power. In fact, this is ironic to me. Whenever uh, the plague of frogs came on the land and the land was, and the houses and everywhere is totally filled with frogs, the magicians added to that by bringing on more frogs. Boy, that was a smart move, right? But again, there's two sources of power here. And, and so we've got to discern that. And listen, when, when you see a display of power, you better make sure that the individual that is portraying that or doing that, that they also match up with God's word. These fake healers of our modern day and times that we've been considering the book of Jude, listen, they're not matching up with God's word. So we don't need to hesitate to say, you know, I wonder what the source of that is. That's not what the passage is teaching us. In fact, the passage would teach us, hey, you better discern them by their fruit and you better look at all of it. So here's these, these Pharisees though. They say he's done this by the power of Beelzebub. So exactly what they were doing was this. They were calling Jesus good, evil. That's what they were saying. So Jesus begins to deal with that. And he shows the ludicrousy of saying that Satan is casting out Satan. Satan holds on to territory. He's not going to give up territory without a fight. And so Jesus is saying, if a nation or a city or a family, listen to this, this is, I mean, this could preach all by himself. In fact, Abraham Lincoln did preach it for a little while, that if a nation is divided against itself, it shall not stand. And so Jesus is making that point that if Satan is divided against Satan, then his kingdom will not stand. And then he asked them this. He said, now, when your sons, your disciples, those of the Jewish uh, race, your, your lineage, because according to Josephus, a, a, a historian during that day and time, and, and then you think about some of the other people that have been a part of, uh, of, of the Jewish race and such, and some of the, the good men that were there and, and the evil the opposition that was there, some of them evidently cast out demons and so forth. And Jesus asked them that when they did that, was that of the devil or was that of God? Kind of shut them up for a moment. And then, then look at what he, what he said in verse number uh, 28. He says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Now we realize and understand that there's a literal kingdom that is coming. That he will literally rule and reign in Jerusalem. We understand that. But what we're in, being introduced here through the gospel of Matthew is that the king, the Lord Jesus Christ is on the scene. And it's proven by his birth and it's proven by his words and by his miracles. And so he's saying this, if I've done this by Beelzebub, then absolutely write me off. But if I've done this by the power of the spirit of God, then you need to understand this. The kingdom of God is coming to you. In other words, he's saying this, the king is in your presence. What are you going to do with him? Will you accept him or will you reject him? And this morning, listen, that is, your, that is the message that is coming to everyone in this auditorium here this morning. The king has showed up on the scene and he died for you and he's risen again and he's ascended to heaven. And now you've got to determine what you're going to do with him. What will you do with this man named Jesus? Because he's not just a man, he's God in the flesh. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to reject him or are you going to receive him? 
He says, the kingdom of God is coming to you. And, and, and then he says this, if one enters into a strong man's house, he can't spoil the house. Hey, they can't, he couldn't rob the house. He couldn't plunder the house if he didn't stop the strong man, the guard, the, the man of the house. Uh, hey, I thought about those Navy SEALs who have been successful in going into Afghanistan and in Iraq and other places and other, other special forces to take out Taliban leaders and, and Al-Qaeda leaders and so forth, those that are leading terrorist organizations, they couldn't do that unless they were stronger than that force. So what Jesus is saying here is that I have come and I'm the king of Israel. And yes, there is another kingdom in Satan's kingdom. And if he's going to lose some of those in his kingdom, if we're going to, in other words, if his house you follow along with me right here? If Satan's house, if Satan's kingdom is going to be spoiled, then he's got to be bound. Jesus demonstrated just a few moments ago, he's bound. In other words, Jesus' power, Jesus is the one coming in the house to plunder the house, spoil the house. Satan is the strong man, but Jesus is stronger than Satan. There it is. That's what that's teaching. I'm glad he's greater. Then he says this in verse 30. He that's not with me is against me. You know what he's saying right there? There's no neutral ground here. Hang on, wait, wait just a minute here. We're, we're building up to something right here. There's no room for you to be indifferent about this. No room for you to be indifferent. No room for you to say, well, I mean, that, that spiritual stuff, that's not for me. I'm kind of more into this. You, you, can't, you can't say that and, and think it doesn't really matter because it does matter. You can't say, well, I'll, I know what the claims of Christ are. I know what the claims of Christianity are, but I, I'm, it's not for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus says, uh, there's no neutral ground here. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either helping to gather. I mean, there's some application here for believers as well. But, but he's speaking to unbelievers and, and he's saying either you're helping to gather or you're spreading abroad. Whether that's a flock that's helping to, he, helping to gather them in or to gather in the, the harvest, the grain. You're either helping to gather that or you're helping to scatter that. There's no neutral ground here. And then he goes on, he says in verse number 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. All manner of sin. That indicates this, that, that means all sin is serious. That means we need to be forgiven. That means that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That means there's none righteous, no, not one. That means that you need to be saved. You need to be born again. And there is a way to be born again. There is a way to be forgiven. Is everybody listening to this? Is everybody following this? Listen, listen your, your sin is a, an offense to a holy and righteous God. And, and he will not allow you to enter into his presence in heaven unless you are forgiven, unless you are born again. And, but he says this, here's the wonderful news about this. All sin and manner of blasphemy Amen. shall be forgiven. You say, well, not my sin. No, he says all sin will be forgiven. Murder can be forgiven. Adultery can be forgiven. I mean, all these sins, because listen, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
There's not one of us that was easier for God to save than the other. No, it took the same blood to die, to, to be shed for you as it did for any sinner that's ever been saved. Have you trusted him as your savior? I'm not, I'm not asking you this morning. Let me be real clear right here. I'm not asking if you're a church member. Because you, you could be a church member and not be born again, and thus you'd be on your way to hell. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if, if you've been baptized. Baptism follows salvation. Baptism is not part of salvation. They believed and then they were baptized. They're separate, they're separate uh, matters. And, and so every believer ought to be baptized, but baptism is not the way that you can be saved. If you're baptized as a little infant, that, all that means is you just got wet. If you got baptized as an adult, but you weren't saved, that just means that you, you got dunked. That's all that it means. That, that's it. It doesn't qualify you for heaven. Just because you're born in America doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian. I'm asking you today, do you know for sure that Jesus is your personal Savior? And your sin can be forgiven. He'll save you, but you must repent of your sin of unbelief, that, that you, have, you have been in unbelief, and that you need to trust Him as your Savior. Today, if he's speaking to your heart, you don't need to put it off. You need to trust him today. All manner of sin shall be forgiven. In fact, let's read on in the rest of that verse there. Everybody's still following along here. We're looking at verse number 30, uh, 31, the latter part. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, blasphemy, reviling, insulting, speaking ill against of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, synonymous terms shall not be forgiven unto men. I wonder what that is. Well, we better know what that is, right? Okay, let's read on in verse number twenty. Sorry, 32, whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh the word, or speaketh rather against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So why does he make that distinction? Um, there's been a lot of confusion about the unpardonable sin. Um, some say, you know, suicide's the unpardonable sin or murder's the unpardonable sin or adultery's the unpardonable sin. Well, we got this verse in a context. We just got to look at it in its context. Um, the context of this is the Pharisees rejecting Jesus as the Messiah and saying that he did this miracle in the power of Beelzebub. So it's very specific to that. Okay, um, so first let me deal with this. A believer can't commit this sin. I, I don't know. I don't know who, uh, who here today has been confused about this, but somebody here as a believer might say, I wonder if I've committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, no, you're a believer. You've accepted him as the Messiah. That means you can't commit it. Does that make sense to everybody? The context is denying that Jesus is a Messiah and saying that he did this miracle by the power of the, of the dem demonic world. That's the particular context here. Okay. Um, there's, there's a couple layers here I want to peel back. One, one would be this. For somebody to be saved, they have to recognize that they're a sinner. In fact, if you don't recognize that you're a sinner, you can't be saved. In fact, probably what's going on in some lives is that they're calling good evil and evil good. And if that's the case, then you don't even know that you need to be saved because there's really no evil to you. I remember uh, telling you about this. I was on a flight back from uh, Canada and this woman said, you know, I don't believe there's anything such as sin. 
And a shooting had just happened in their capital. And I said, was that, was that wrong? Oh, yeah, that was wrong. Was that sinful? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there is sin. There is evil. But, but hang on, wait a minute. Catch this. This first layer is this. If you don't recognize sin as sin, you don't think you need a Savior. And if you don't think you need a Savior, you can't be saved. You can't be forgiven. If you don't confess what you've done is wrong, hang on, there's application right here for believers as well. If we don't confess that what we've done is wrong, then you're not going to be forgiven of that. Because you're still justifying yourself. But, but if you acknowledge before God, God, you're right about this and I've done wrong, would you forgive me? All sin shall be forgiven. Okay? So sin can be forgiven. So that's the first layer of that. But there's another layer of this as well. I mean, that's part of the reason why the Pharisees were not saved and why religious people even today are not saved because they're religious and not born again. Because they don't think they need to be born again. They think they're okay because of their heritage or their tradition or their many rituals. I'm telling you today, that's not enough to save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save you and the new birth experience to give you a new heart. In other words, Jesus is saying right here, we need to get down to the heart of this. In fact, the rest of the verses, I'll just go ahead and reference right here. Either the tree is good and has good fruit or the tree is bad and has evil fruit. How can you be an evil? He got right down to the heart of the matter. He refuted them and said, spoke against what they were saying because he knew, listen to this, he knew that the condition of their heart was affecting their judgment. And they were evil. And so because they were evil, they could not have good judgment. He's saying, you're wrong at the core. How can you see things clearly? Here's the other layer to this. He said something very interesting. And when you first read it, you think, man, I don't get that. You ever have one of those, man, I don't get that Bible moments? He said that if you speak against the Son, you can be forgiven. And then he turned around and said, if you speak against the Spirit, you can't be forgiven. And your first inclination would be to maybe say this, well, is the Spirit more significant than the Son? Who here in the right mind would say that? That's not right. They're equal. The Trinity. So what is he saying? Well, consider, consider the context. All manner of speaking against the Son shall be forgiven. Let me ask you this. Did they, in ignorance, speak against the Son? Example. Nathaniel said this. His, his friend Philip, his maybe brother, said to him, We found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel said this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Somebody from Oklahoma would say, can anything good come out of Texas? I mean, something like that. I, I mean, to cause a, a church divided against itself shall not stand. I need to remember that. But, but that, that'd be the mentality. Can anything good come out of there? And here's what Philip said. Just come and see. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel rather, came to see and he trusted him as his Messiah and was, you know, born again and all those things. And so, in other words, speaking against the son was forgiven Nathaniel because he said it in ignorance. Is that making sense? 
He's saying, he's basically recognizing, I didn't know what I was saying right then. Is not this the carpenter's son? We grew up around him. I mean, they're saying that in ignorance. I believe that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, he would even forgive the Pharisees who said, how can you as a man make yourself God? Well, he forgave Nicodemus and he forgave Joseph of Arimathea and he would forgive even Saul of Tarsus who spoke against him. In fact, he so much spoke against him that he, he was on a rampage to kill all Christians. So his sin, even though it was great, was forgiven him. He spoke against the son, but he did so in ignorance and in unbelief. In fact, Paul even said so in his letter to Timothy. He said, I did this in ignorance. I did this in unbelief. So that is the sin against the son of man that can be forgiven. But then you get to this level, this situation here where you're speaking against the spirit. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you can sin in this way, not, not without consequence, mind you, please. Please understand that. Don't, don't edit this to say you can sin. That's not what I was saying. He's not saying you can sin without consequence, but here's what he's saying. You can sin this way in ignorance and be forgiven, but when you cross this line and you know what is right and you willfully reject Jesus as the Messiah and the Spirit of God that has made it very evident in your life, then listen, you can't be forgiven of that. Now, now, I want to be clear here because somebody may get to a point where they're resisting the Holy Spirit. How many of you that are saved, at some time in your life, you were resisting the Holy Spirit of God's conviction in your life? Absolutely. I think every one of us is there. But here's what he's saying. There's a point in time in which, and we understand it this way. In fact, if you're concerned today, well, maybe, have I crossed that? No, you're still alive. There's still an opportunity for you to be saved, but I don't know how much time there is. And that's the reason I'm burden to preach this message to you that you wouldn't dismiss this message and say, you know, I've heard that a thousand times. You're in danger. And if you're rejecting what you know to be true about him and you're rejecting the, the mounting evidence. And so this was in a different category here as Jesus says, listen, I have showed you my words. I've showed you my works. And now you've even gone so far as to say, I've done this by the power of Beelzebub. And he's saying to them, you've blasphemed not just against me, but against the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, many of them are in hell today because they never yielded to the truth about Jesus Christ. Because the condition of their heart affected their judgment. And I just want to ask you today, will your judgment of Jesus stand at the judgment? If you say, I believe he was a good man, that's not enough. If you believe he was a good leader, that's not enough. If you say he had some good words that he said, that's not enough. Even if you believe that he is the son of God, that's not enough because you personally need to trust him as the son of God. The devils believe and tremble. In fact, I read in Luke in preparation for this message, even just in my Bible reading, how that when the demons saw that he was casting out demons, they thought, man, we're in a heap of trouble. Now I'm paraphrasing right there. He didn't say a heap of trouble, but that's what they thought. Are you come to, to, to judge us ahead of time? They knew what was coming. And listen, there is no hope for the fallen demonic beings, but there is hope for you. But you better not thumb your nose at God and say, because what's happening is the condition of your heart is blurring your judgment and you're willfully blind. 
I thought this morning, sitting back there in the back, getting ready, listening to the Brother Ted teach Sunday school, and, but thinking, man, I wish I could preach this on some college campuses. I wish I could preach this in, in some, uh, uh, some setting where there's a bunch of lost people that are there because they need to hear this message, folks. They do. Professors that are wise in their own eyes need to hear this message, and, and they're in willful rejection of the truth. I don't have that opportunity to preach there. I've got an opportunity to preach right here. And I, I want to share God's word with you that if you are willfully rejecting him or resisting him, you need to yield to him because your little Tacoma is not going to make it. Did you follow my analogy? You can't change the nature of things. You can only yield to them when it has to do with God. Believers, let me say this to you as well. The condition of your heart affects your judgment. Because even as a believer, you don't lose your salvation, but you can get to the place where you say, this is not very important. The game tonight's more important than this church thing. It's as though you're treating good as evil. And then if you're not careful, you can get to the place where you treat evil like it's good. And doing the same things the Pharisees did. Because the condition of your heart affects your judgment. So, you better take good care of the condition of your heart. To make sure that it's right with God. Because otherwise you're skewed in your thinking. And you're dismissing your sin as though it's no big deal to God. Hey, he said every idle word. You won't lose your salvation, but the loss of reward and loss of testimony. Listen, that means something, friend. Hmm. Better be careful labeling good and evil, hadn't we? Because ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan's been twisting our minds. Get us all confused. Father, um, today... <clears throat> I pray that you would help us. Someone here may be resisting the spiritual truth that has come their way today. And I think about the passage in Hebrews, how that when you speak to us, we're not to harden our hearts, but to respond to you. And dear God, today I pray that those that are lost would not make any excuses and say another day, or God, that you'd help them not to not to dismiss this message. Lord, if they don't know they're saved, I pray that you'd help them today to humble their hearts before you, to trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Please, dear God, I pray that you'd help those. I, I don't know where that heart of resistance would be, but you do, Lord. But there's someone here today that needs to trust you as Savior. Maybe someone that's very open to this. They're not resistant. They haven't been pushing against you, but God, they are not a believer yet. They haven't trusted Jesus as their Savior. I pray that you'd help them to come today. And then I pray that you'd help every one of us as believers to take good, careful care of our hearts because of the way that affects our judgment and our view of things and our view of you, dear God, I pray. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together here this morning. Page 240, 254. Jesus is waiting.